I'm Sophia and I'm an alcoholic. Um, my sobriety date is February 5th, 2023. So in about two weeks from today, I will have six months. Um, that is not my first sobriety date. I've had many sobriety dates. I'm a, I've relapsed several times. Um, I truly do believe that relapse or don't believe that relapse is a part of recovery. I believe it's part of the disease and, um, and yeah, like it's taken me seven years to get five, five and a half months. So, um, welcome to the newcomers. I really am glad you are all here. Um, I hope that you are as desperate as I was when I first got here this time around. Um, and yeah, so let's get it. Let's get to it. Um, I was born in San Francisco. My mom is from San Francisco and my dad is from El Salvador. And um, I was grew up as a very like anxious child and definitely um, struggled with anxiety for most of my life. And I still do to this day, but it's gotten a lot better since I've gotten sober. Um, I was sexually abused by a family member when I was eight. And to cope with that, I um, started using food and I still do to this day use food as a coping mechanism. But I think that was like my first sign of like symptoms of alcoholism, the way I used to cope with things. I don't think that event particularly made me an alcoholic, but it definitely um, like was what kind of started those behaviors I believe and um so yeah I I took my first drink when I was 15 and um and I was off and running ever since then you know like from the gate like I was a blackout drinker from the gate and um throughout high school high school was really rough for me throughout high school I uh, uh, drugs are a part of my story. So throughout high school, I was using and drinking and uh, my life got really unmanageable really fast. Um, so um, I got arrested in high school. I, you know, was expelled from high school and it was just, it was just a mess. And um, shortly after that, I got pregnant with my first daughter and I thought that that would change my life. Like I would turn my life around after having her and, um, and it didn't, I later found out that the only solution to my problems was the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 steps. Um, so I, after I had her, I, you know, I started working in a pharmacy and my drinking and using continued, it progressed, it got worse. Um, when I was 24, I had my first, my second daughter and, um, again, like I, I drank, uh, during the pregnancy with her. And shortly after that, I, um, I quickly went back to drinking after a period of like seven months of being, you know, abstinent, um, without a program and, um, and things got ugly, right? Like, they just get progressively worse. And so 
my introduction to Alcoholics Anonymous was um, basically my family telling me that I needed to go to to a meeting after I had uh, gone to work and I snorted some Xanax at work because I, I was a pharmacy technician. It was easy access. And um, I, I snorted some Xanax, I drank, and I was on my way home and I um, fell asleep at the wheel. I passed out in an intersection and luckily a friend saw me and pulled me off the side of the road. And that was when my parents were like, you need to like get your ass to a meeting. And so I went to my first meeting and I can't tell you anything about what happened in that meeting, honestly. Like, I don't remember. I probably showed up drunk because um, I showed up drunk to many meetings, um, drunk, especially during that time. And I just wasn't ready to get sober. But um, shortly after that, I found my first sponsor and um and things weren't going well with my family. Um, I ended up being homeless for a, a little while and this sponsor ended up taking me in. And um, so I moved in with her and her only rule was um, that there was no drinking, right? And I just remember like not being able to follow that rule whatsoever. And, you know, we would start working the steps. I would get through, I would do the one, two, three shuffle, right? And um, I, I remember, I remember sitting with her one day, and I think it was, I think it was at night actually. And she knew I had been drinking, and she had me read a part. I think it was how it works, and she had me read the part where it talks about rigorous honesty. And she had me read that sentence, and then she would ask me, "Have you taken a drink today?" And then I would be like, "No." And then she had me read it over again. And then she would ask me again, have you taken a drink today? And I could, and I would lie through my teeth. Like I just could not get honest. Right. And that continued that pattern of dishonesty and not being able to like just surrender continued for seven years. And I did not, I was in and out for seven years of uh, this program. I would do, you know, a couple steps and then go back out. And then, you know, the cycle would continue. Um, I, you know, went to rehab a couple times. I, you know, I'm also duly diagnosed. So I was, um, I basically like whenever I drink, I also get like fucking batshit crazy. But I think that's true for most of us alcoholics. Um, so, you know, I would like end up in John George several times, more times than I can count on two hands. Um, and yeah, the, it just got really bad, really fast. And I would like get sober again and things would go okay. And then, you know, like things would get back on track and then I would forget, you know, I had that built-in forgetter. and things would just go to shit. And um, this last time, um, what happened was I had, so I have about six months, not, you know, uh, I have about, I have over six months from alcohol, but I used um, methamphetamines 
um, in back in February. So my sobriety date is February 5th. And, um, and things just got, you know, I hit an, an emotional bottom and I was going to have a consequence. And that really scared the shit out of me. You know what I mean? Like, I just was, I was scared. I was, you know, I was, a, you know, I was scared. I was like, just lost. And I hit an emotional bottom and, um, and finally, thank you. And finally, um, I decided like I, I was ready and I called up my, who who's now my sponsor and, um, and we started working the steps and I remember sitting in her room or in her kitchen and reading the part in the back of the big book on page 568 about, um, honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness, and how those are the the essentials to recovery, and without those, it is indispensable, and I just remember sitting there and not being able to get through a sentence, and just being, like, completely defeated, and that's the day I finally surrendered, and um, so I've worked the steps. I'm available to sponsor women, um, and I'm just truly grateful. Thank you, Laura, for asking me to share. I forgot to mention that early on, but thank you so much for asking me to share to the newcomers. Um, you know, get a sponsor, work the steps. Your life will get better, like sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, but it will get better. And I'm just really grateful to be here. So thank you for having me share. My name is Beryl. I'm an alcoholic. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you, Sophia. You killed it. Um, I'm really nervous. I hate speaking. <laughs> um, but let's start. Let's start at the beginning. And also, uh, I apologize. I swear, like a sailor, I'm going to do my best. So <laughs> let's go. Um, so my name is Beryl, and I'm definitely an alcoholic. Um, and I got sober on April 22nd, 2009, um, and really by the grace of my higher power, as it is, as kind of a miracle, <laughs> not just the kind of drinker I was, but the kind of sobriety I've led to. I have led a very imperfect program, um, the things that I did right is I did a day at a time and I didn't drink. Other than that, I made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> um, so a little bit about what it was like. Um, I was born in Santa Cruz, California. I don't know if you can tell by my accent. <laughs> um, people in my home group call me a Jewish hillbilly because <laughs> I grew up the Santa Cruz Mountains, I grew up um, conservative Judaism, and I grew up um, so pretty religious, and um, that was always, so So that, and then, you know, I'm transgender too, uh, non-binary, and I did not know that at the time, and for whatever reason, right, like these are, I'm just saying these, right, not to this is not the oppression olympics but instead you know it's like i just had a lot of different ways that i felt out of place in terms of why i'm an alcoholic 
I have no idea. I don't think it's any of my business. Um, I just am an alcoholic. Those other things compounded it and gave me a lot of different, you know, sometimes valid reasons, sometimes excuses. Either way, I'm an alcoholic. I cannot drink like a normal person. I also cannot, I can't consume other substances like a quote unquote normal person. Um, but yeah, that, that was the beginning of my life. And, you know, I think the longer I've stayed sober too, I used to just say like, I had a really good childhood. And then for a while, it's like, oh, I had a really bad childhood. Actually, I'm, I'm in denial. But you know, two things can be true at once. It was good in a lot of ways and bad in a lot of ways. I never went hungry. There's a pro, con. I have a super narcissistic mom um, who, you know, sometimes was violent. Um, so it was a mixed bag. Um, and I learned a lot of that kind of subtlety in sobriety because that's not my default. I, I think like a lot of alcoholics that I can only speak for myself, I live in the extremes. Either everybody loves me or everybody hates me. Either in Ernest Kurtz's words, I'm a angel or I'm a piece of shit. Uh, and it's really hard for me to see and I have to learn how to see that I'm really, as he says, an angel who shits. I'm entirely human. I'm a human who happens to be an alcoholic. <laughs> Dems the breaks. Um, so I also do not really remember my first drink. I think some people will say like, oh, you never forget, or it's so important to remember. But kind of what Sophia said, I've always kind of had just alcoholic tendencies, you know, I was stealing food really early. I like hiding it. I would have tea parties and drink Listerine under the bed. Um, I just felt really uncomfortable in my own skin. Um, I felt like I wasn't supposed to be on earth, but now I'm here and I hate it here and I shouldn't be here. Um, and so I made it my mission in life at a very early age to do whatever I could to make that feel different. I wanted to feel different. Um you know, really the first times that I remember like on purpose drinking um, was usually that. It was not just to feel better, but I also wanted to like impress other people, wanted people to like me, wanted people to think I was cool or interesting, um, fun to be around. But very early on, what ended up happening is people just stopped talking to me um, the people who still talked to me uh, were not very nice people, <laughs> or rather, you know, they might be, but they're sick people too. Um, the first time I can really remember just going off the wall and having that feeling of like, Eureka, I found it. Um, I woke up in a fries in San Jose. <laughs> I was at a like a festival earlier but I don't remember I don't remember how I got to the fries so I remember waking up and looking it's like Egyptian themed which is you know questionable and looking up at this like giant pyramid and it's like where the fuck am I um and I loved it <laughs> I loved it a lot 
because that's really when I felt I found my ticket ticket off this planet is I don't remember my first drink, but that was my first blackout. And I love blacking out because I don't have to remember. I don't have to be here. I wasn't there. And that, I don't know, that was the most amazing feeling in the world for me was just being gone. Um, and I really pursued that, like they talk about in the big book, um, into really the gates of insanity, um, which I welcomed too, because I thought it made me super interesting. And so, you know, kind of how that ended up progressing. So I was young. It's it's very difficult, turns out, to go drink in a bar or buy alcohol, uh, do any of that stuff when you're like 15. <laughs> Well, I worked really hard <laughs> to be an active alcoholic, um, which basically resulted in me being a trash can alcoholic with no values. I did not care who my friends were as long as they had drugs and alcohol. Anybody who got in my way, I would hurt. Um, I did not care about, I did not care uh, about what my actions were. Um until, you know, inevitably there's this creepy, creeping feeling uh, that I've now learned is shame, <laughs> which in my eyes at the time just gave me more of a reason to go black out and get the fuck off this planet. Uh, and so created this really vicious cycle where I ended up uh, in a lot of situations that I should not have been in, but I chose to be in. Um until I could no longer choose. Um, I ended up dating a very abusive person for a very long time, literally because he gave me drugs. <laughs> he would steal alcohol for me. Um, and I did not care. As an example, he was a neo-Nazi. I'm Jewish. <laughs> I didn't care. He had drugs. <laughs> My grandma is rolling over in her grave. Um, it became just really my sole fixation. And as I became more and more fixated, all of my values went out the window. And I just felt like, you know, I had this like growing black hole in my chest that I could not escape from. And it was painful. It felt like somebody had just physically stabbed me. And that feeling just terrified me. Um, you know, very quickly, you know, just it's exactly what we read and more about alcoholism. You know, like I tried really hard. The one thing I was really terrified of was being called an alcoholic, too. Because <laughs> uh, I thought it would make me too weird. I wanted to be interesting. But... Being an alcoholic, I really related with, uh, and I'm sorry if this is you, uh, but not really, because if you're here, I get that you're probably in AA. <laughs> I thought it was like well, old white men sitting in front of their TV, drinking themselves to death. Um, I was like, I don't want to be that. Like nobody, nobody will think I'm cool. All these other, you know, like 15 year olds. <laughs> And it's funny, it just says, that's what I was doing too, was just drinking and watching Ripley's Believe It or Not. So, you know, take that for what it is. But, you know, it was, it was tired. 
it's just tiring. And it got to the point where um, I tried to kill myself twice, um, both through overdoses on purpose, and it did not work. And that is probably some of the most immense physical pain I have ever been in. And really another uh, God shot moment, you know, like I should not be alive. <laughs> I should not be alive. Um, and I'm really grateful. I am very bad at killing myself. Um, but that's really where it ended up leaving me was what we say in their rooms, like sick and tired of being sick and tired. And that's one of those sayings I just immediately really related to is I didn't, I didn't want to do it anymore, but I just did not know. I didn't know if there was a way out. I didn't know about sobriety. I thought the only way out was to kill myself. And when I found out that I was very bad at that, um, which also <laughs> included being institutionalized for the first time, which was also not fun. Um, you know, I just decided to do what they said in more about alcoholism. Like I just, I switched. I switched from drinking privately to drinking publicly. I switched from one class of drug to another class of drug. Um, it's just like pursuing it. Cause that's like, well, I might as well, you know, just kill myself with better drugs over a longer period of time. And that's insane. That's not normal, but that's how I thought. Um, this guy is so, that, I'm so, that was so miserable. Um, and I, yeah, so I didn't, I didn't know that, that there was a different option that by, by doing the steps, for example, I never had to drink again. Um, and thus begins the wild tale of how Beryl got sober. <laughs> Um, I did not get sober the first time willingly. Um, my parents hired people to come and kidnap me in the middle of the night, and they transported me to Utah <laughs> and threw me in an unmarked van, which then drove another really long distance into the desert of Utah, where they kicked my ass out in a bunch of military surplus gear and an 80-pound backpack. And that's where I, I first got sober, <laughs> was cold turkey off of oxycodone and liquor uh, in the middle of eight feet of snow. I do not recommend. That was a terrifying and horrible experience. Um, and, you know, I did not, I still did not have a solution. Just because the drugs and alcohol were removed from my system, in this case, forcibly, um, I didn't have a solution. I didn't have a spiritual solution. That obsession that they talk about in the big book was not removed. It's still all I thought about. That black hole was still just engrossing my entire body. Um, and I tried to eat like juniper berries to get high. All I thought about is like, oh, when I leave, like I'm gonna like fucking do this and I'm gonna do that. And I'm gonna get into all this fucking trouble. And that stuff's miserable too. Not to mention like the the hiking. <laughs> For some reason I was okay just shitting outside, but I was very sneaky about it. 
Um, I got in a lot of trouble that way too. Um, and I thought I was going to get out in three and a half. I thought I was going to get out in seven weeks. Um, so I had all my plans, very control. I'm very controlling person. I, uh, as my default and, uh, turns out it's indeterminate stay. So I was there for three and a half months. And then I thought I was getting out and instead I got transferred to a lockdown facility also in Utah. Um, all of these places, by the way, I need to mention, extremely abusive. Uh, in fact, as part of an amends now, I'm uh, I'm a witness uh, in a case uh, in a in a case against the lockdown facility I was in um, to get it shut down so it can't hurt more children. Uh, and I, that was an amends I had to make because for a really long time afterwards, I was an asshole to other survivors. Um, so sometimes amends can be really interesting and different looking. Um, I digress. So I'm in this lockdown facility. Um, I'm 16, I just, 16 years old, indeterminate stay. And I don't remember a lot of my time there. Um, what I do remember is being terrified and very angry. And I ended up relapsing in there, what I consider a relapse. Um, it was very difficult to relapse in there, but you know, I had a lot of work experience. Um, I ended up relapsing on Benadryl. So if you're going to relapse and you're already planning on it, find something cooler so that you don't one day have to say you relapse on Benadryl to a bunch of people. <laughs> um, so I remember though, I was sitting in this padded, it was such a cliche, I'm sitting in this padded room where they had us work out <laughs> and I'm high on Benadryl. And for the first time ever in my entire life, it's like, I don't like this. I don't want this like how how there must there must be something different and at that point I knew about AA because they had given us a big book and I had been to at least one meeting before and I remember that one meeting really clearly kind of like Sophia I don't remember anything anybody said <laughs> That part's true. Um, and joke's on me too, because I walked into this uh, this fellowship in Murray, Utah, the Alano Club. And that room is exactly who I thought alcoholics were. I walked in and it's like 40 people. They're all old. They're all white. They're all men. And... I like I walked in and I immediately wanted what they had. Every single person in there looked happy. Every single person there, they were laughing. It hit me like a ton of bricks in that moment. I did not remember the last time at 16 that I had genuinely laughed and not at somebody like with with somebody. Like I didn't remember what that felt like until I stood in that room and I heard them all laughing. I didn't hear anything else <laughs> that they said. 
at all but I got to see I got to see what the program meant uh, and what the program could do and even after that I'm an alcoholic so I relapsed on Benadryl um and that's just what we do you know the friend told me in the program too you know it's like mechanics work on cars carpenters build cabinets alcoholics drink you know it's what I'm I'm good at I'm born to do <laughs> it's it's no shame in that um it's just something I can't control like a cool carpenter um maybe there's a carpenter out there that like can't stop making cabinets but um, maybe more props to him <laughs> but so that's those are all of the crazy things that happened that ended up with me sitting in that padded ass gym being like I don't like this I don't want this anymore it was at that point I was like I I'm gonna try to do this I'm gonna do whatever it takes like I don't know what it takes because I don't remember anything from that meeting but they had given me a big book in this place to their credit. Everything else they did was the fucking most terrifying shit. But they gave me a big book. And they were like, you should probably read this. And I mean, I'm still like a stubborn kid. I'm like, I'm not going to read it in order. <laughs> so I started with the stories in the back. At first, because I just wanted to know how they drank and got fucked up. Because one, if I relapsed, I would have some cool new tricks up my sleeve. And two, you know, like, I kind of wanted to hear, I wanted to hear my story. Um, which I can say I didn't necessarily find in the back. And it's not that I'm special. It's just people are different. The things that were the same, though, is how they felt, how they drank, how they used. It's just, you know, they're doing it in like 1932. Um, and so I started with the first parts of the story and then I got curious, it's like, well, what happened? What's the end of the story though? And so I started reading the end of the story and that's how I started, uh, not necessarily working the steps, but started the program. I read the rest of the big book. I don't remember much about it, honestly. Um, most of what I had to do in that place was, you know, like I said, I don't, I don't remember a lot of my days there. Um, but I ended up after that, I got transferred to a, it was like a private foster system uh, through that place. Um, and during my time in that lockdown in the foster care, you know, I didn't have a sponsor. I was not allowed to go to meetings. Um, very rarely they'd put us in the white unmarked van and they'd drive us to the meeting, but we had to have like our level high enough and all this stuff. And so I think the first year I was sober, I maybe went to like six meetings, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and I loved going to those meetings because I wasn't allowed to have the coffee or anything, or I'd get my ass handed to me at the program. But like, just to see that joy for a second, I got to see really clearly, this is what I'm really grateful for. I was in like this, uh, just abusive fucking program every day, right? Like I'm waking up, making hospital corners, 
they do shit like tie us to each other for weeks and weeks on end or I'd be on solitary and then you know I'd get this like chance to go to this beautiful room where just these old fucking truckers who are like 30 years sober are just laughing and like love there's so much love in that room and they cared about each other and they cared about me too like they were nice to me they didn't know anything about me um but they did they like would sneak me their number like when you're out like you know and you need a meeting um they saved my life in a lot of ways and just by being sober and by being by being of service um so I started working the steps by myself, which now I would not recommend to anybody uh, as a horrible uh, because it, it's it's a program that's it, it's not just it's not just, you know, low key meant for us to share each other. Right. Like the first step says we we admitted, but we don't have to do it alone, you know. Um, I was in a weird circumstance where I kind of did, kind of did, but I still wasn't really alone, right? Like those guys were rooting for me. Like the AA exists because hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people throughout the years have decided to make coffee and set up chairs and like stay sober one day at a time. So even though I felt really alone, I know now like I was not alone. Um, so I started the steps. Step one super easy you know for me not for everybody right I had a lot of shame for my whole drinking right I did not want to be an alcoholic but you know when I walked in that meeting I saw them all laughing I was like if that's what an alcoholic is I hella want to be an alcoholic right like (laughs) and I know my life is unmanageable and I'm powerless over alcohol I mean fuck I'm 16 I'm like locked against my will like <laughs> across state lines. Um, I don't think that's very manageable in my case. <laughs> I didn't feel manageable. Um, so I knew I was an alcoholic. Um, and I saying that with such freedom, right? It's like the first time I actually saw myself for who I truly was. There's was immense amount of freedom that came from that. Like, oh, okay, we've targeted the problem. There is a solution. Um, And steps two and three were really hard at first because I grew up super, you know, super religious. Um, And I struggled with that. I struggle with that, you know, honestly to today. Um, I thought for a really long time I had to, you know, choose a really specific God. And it had to be like a whole ass situation where I like knew the name and knew who I was talking to and that works for some people and honestly I'm super jealous um faith and prayer does not come easy to me um and it was something somebody said honestly like two years ago where they're like I just list ways when I do my 10th step at night that I saw my higher power that day and I was like oh I can pray to that So now I just look for ways I see a higher power. Sometimes it's the heat, like today was fucking hot. Like as higher power, I don't pray to that tonight. Sometimes it's the group of drunks, you know? Sometimes it's this really big tree I see. Sometimes it's like uh, molecules. (laughs) So, you know, I, I realized I didn't have to define it anymore. The the thing I had to do when I first got sober was just try. 
you know, I just had to try. Um, Cause that's all steps two and three really are, you know, you see that some, we, we admit something probably could help us. That's not us. And then we make a decision. That's not really an action at all. There's nowhere in there that says, you know, you have to know his like name, phone number, like pant size. Um, so I just tried. Um, I'm, I was desperate. So why not? What do I have to lose? Um, maybe some pride. <laughs> um, step four was very difficult. Um, but I knew I had to be as honest and thorough as possible. Because uh, that's what it says. And so I did that. You know, I put every single thing I never wanted to tell anybody in my whole life down. And then I didn't read it to a sponsor. Actually, fun fact, I've never read a fourth step to a sponsor. You know, big faux pas. Everybody, you know. <laughs> um, the first time I I had to read it to just somebody who worked there. And that was not a good idea. It was went very poorly. <laughs> but it worked because I stayed sober and I was honest and I was thorough it really didn't matter in that moment I felt really free for the first time in my entire life um six and seven I think are still an ongoing process but something that I really try to do every day um and forgive myself just a little bit um and I ended up so I ended up getting released from those programs. I'd been there for almost two years. Um, and right when I got out, I remembered what they had said in those those few meetings I had been in, right? It got a big book, <laughs> got my own big book. I got a fucking sponsor, um, like immediately. It's like the first thing on my mind. It was like, and I wanted one because I didn't, I'd never had one. I was like, I want one. I don't want any more abusive ass counselors. I want a sponsor. I want another alcoholic. You know, they're not better than me. They're not smarter than me. They're just another alcoholic who's done the steps, you know, and can help me and wants to help me for their own sobriety. Um, I asked this very nice woman. Um, and she helped me. She helped me do step eight, nine. And it was the step I was super dreading the most. And now it's it's also my favorite step because it's the step that taught me, one, how fucked up my own thinking really was, even more than step four. Because I had to go and like talk to a bunch of people who a lot of them weren't alcoholics. And I saw this like beautiful thing happen. Majority of them were just happy that I was alive. And really surprised that I had anything to make amends about. A lot of them didn't remember. A couple people told me to go fuck myself. But usually they were the people I didn't really want to hang out with anyways. <laughs> the hardest one was my sister, who I have been continuing to make amends for for 14 years now. Um, she was also my first amends I had to make. And it was completely unintelligible. I don't think one word made sense and I just cried so hard and at the end of it she told me you owe me like $98.63 and so after I got a sponsor I got a job I gave my sister all my paychecks um and you know she still didn't trust me she still didn't like me she had no reason to 
you know i abused the fuck out of her when she was a kid you know in every possible way um and i didn't i didn't know how to make amends for that for a really long time and a lot of it looked very very different than a direct amends you know i made the direct amends i had to make a financial amends one of my amends was i actually you know, not not in a malicious way, but I didn't talk to her for like five years. I wanted to give her back part of her childhood, you know, let her live out the rest of her teen years as a teenager and not as like a younger sister of my fucking ass. Um, and now we have a really beautiful relationship and that's had to develop over a really, really long time. She needed to see that she could trust me. Um, and it's something we're still working on. And I think I'm really grateful for that. It's something I did not expect. Um, so after that, right? So before I talk about the rest of the steps, I have five minutes. I will talk about sobriety for a little bit. So I did all that stuff, right? Like, I was like, fucking gold star. I did it. I did not want to work the steps again. You know, I always had a sponsor. I stopped calling them. You know, I was like, I'm not calling you. And I get, like, viscerally mad if people would bring me to big book studies. I was like, I don't want to do that. Fuck the big book. I'm not reading it again. I did the steps. Doesn't say to repeat the steps. You know? So I was like very stubborn, character defects, full fucking flag. When I had about nine years sober, I realized I had a, I had very severe uh, unchecked trauma um, that I had been running from from a really long time. You know, it's not just that I wouldn't I, I wouldn't do the steps again. I think in part I couldn't. You know, I didn't know how to do the steps and address some of the shit that had happened to me, you know, that maybe my only part in was how I carried on the abuse or my only part in was that I like really did not know how to forgive myself um, or forgive them, you know, to the extent that I can. Um, and I'm really grateful. And it took a lot of, again, my, my really weird higher power shit happening my best friend who I was institutionalized for two years with, you know, she she ended up relapsing right after doing heroin under a bridge for five years. I ran into her at a coffee shop when I was nine years sober and she had five years sober. And she told me what happened to us, you know, like she told me and she survived and she was killing it. She's got her doctorate this year, uh, which is really fucking amazing. She's still alive. Um, and you know, a lot of people aren't, but that began me being able to actually underdress some to address underlying issues, right? Like, how do I deal with trauma on the steps? How do I, you know, how can I actually be helpful in the program instead of just taking and doing the bare minimum? So, I worked the steps again, uh, during the pandemic. Um, and that was really wild it was amazing i hooked up with some really good guys in aa they're all vets because you know who knows how to work trauma on a fourth step 
fucking veterans. <laughs> um, they really helped me out a lot. I uh, know how to do that. You know, trauma is not a character defect, but I need to get help from it because it will kill me. You know, that shit will take me out if I do not address it. Um, and it's a miracle. It's a miracle that that did not happen before. Um, a little bit else about what my life is like now while I still have time. Um, you know, I, I made a lot of mistakes in sobriety too, right? Like I redated, I redated the neo-Nazi. <laughs> I didn't really know how to do any of that stuff, but you know, it's, it's just like little moments where I just actually worked the program and all my affairs and shit worked out you know and I've been with my partner for 12 years <laughs> they're a normie they want to be a psychologist they want to work in as a therapist except for some reason not as a substance abuse counselor I don't know why um but you know I was able to go get a college degree yeah. in sobriety I didn't think I'd be alive past 18 I cried on my 18th birthday um, I'm 30 now, which is really is wild. Um, now I'm studying to be an art conservator because I really, I just want to help. I want to help people's art just live as long as it can and more people to be able to enjoy it um, and not have to sign my name on anything. And I hope I get to do that one day, but I don't know. Um, Mostly what I'm practicing today is I'm trying really, really hard to surrender. I'm not good at that. <laughs> I didn't learn how to do that as a kid and certainly not. And well, I did it by disease, just the alcohol. I'm practicing that and it's like a daily, daily struggle. You know, the ninth step promises I've realized they're, they're really contingent on every day when I wake up. There's a guy named Thomas. He says, the sponsor asked him if he wanted to do better, or if he wanted to feel better. His answer better not be to feel better because he's been trying to feel better his whole life. And I really like that. And I think about that a lot of days. I'm like, I just, how can I do better today? Um, and sometimes it doesn't work out very well, <laughs> but sometimes it really does. Sometimes it's really little, like I can just go to a meeting and read how it works. Sometimes it's applying for a job that makes me want to shit my pants because uh, I don't believe in myself. But I do what's in front of me to be done. That's what was told to me, right? What's the opposite action? What's in front of me to do? I do that. And if I do that and I turn the results over to my higher power and let other people, I know that other people get to vote on the results then it usually works out pretty okay. I think I'm out of time now, but welcome to everybody or welcome back. Um, if you're coming back, you know, that shit's really fucking hard, but you're here. One day sober is a miracle. And the, the congratulations, <laughs> like it's amazing. Um, and thank you so much for letting me be of service. I really needed a meeting tonight. I did not expect it to be mostly my voice talking. So sorry about that, but I'm, I'm really happy to be sober today. Thank you all for helping me stay sober today. <laughs>